Hey there, welcome back to Acting Lessons Learned, the podcast. I'm Tawana Floyd. I share personal stories of the lessons I've learned growing my career as a working actor in Los Angeles. This episode is the second installment of a three-part sub-series called Respectfully Decline. I talk about the red flags that caused me to decline the offers of a few agents and managers who wanted to represent me. I'll publish one more episode on this topic in two weeks, with possibly more to come in the future, because as long as I continue to be an actor, taking meetings with agents and managers, there will possibly be more representatives whose offers I will respectfully decline. But for now, I'll chat about the first time I handled an agent meeting like an FBI profiler, because I'm an actor. I study behavior and psychology, and I watch a lot of TV, so (laughs) I used my skills to gain insight into the motives of this agent, creating a behavioral profile based on the agent's business location, personality, and what he talked about. And by the end of the meeting, my observations informed me that this agent would not be a suitable fit. I've heard it said that an actor should wait to work with an agent or manager who seeks us out. Because then that rep will be more eager and enthusiastic about the opportunities they can get us, the actor. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I can equate this idea to intimate relationships. Like when someone likes me, I can think of all the great ways we can enjoy each other's company. I can consider all the great things we will do together. There's an excitement brewing, as opposed to someone who is attracted to me, but they were not on my radar. So now I've got to sell myself on the idea of why I should date them, if I should date them. And the same holds true for employment. I go after a project because I want to work with the director or because I appreciate the writing. But when I get approached by a project and I don't know the producers, I have to research the players and ask, why should I work on this project? How would it be mutually beneficial? Now, none of this is to say I would pass on dating someone I wasn't interested in initially or wouldn't work on a project where I don't know the players. I'm expressing how I have to find ways to get excited, just as agents and managers have to find ways to get excited about actors who contact them cold. Because listen, if we all waited for someone to be excited about us, we'd be waiting alone for a long time to infinity. So I don't suggest we wait to be courted. I suggest we find an ideal rep now and the relationship might blossom into something beautiful and long-lived. Or the partnership may just terminate early. Either way, we have to try. From here on out, I'll refer to the agent I met as Daniel. Daniel Marsh. Daniel Marsh. I was thrilled that Daniel had reached out to me with interest. Now, it wasn't a cold contact. I had signed up for a service called Talent Link, a monthly service offered by Breakdown Services where the actor's profile, headshot, resume, and reel are added to a private database for a fee. That database is sent to every agent and manager who holds an account with Breakdown Services. And there's hundreds, if not thousands, of agents and managers with accounts because Breakdown Services has the majority of television, film, and theater castings. Some would argue Breakdown Services is a monopoly on casting because they cover the largest network of professional actors, agents, and managers in North America. 
all the major markets, including New York, L.A., Chicago, and the Southeast. TalentLink is the fastest, most direct and secure way to connect actors seeking representation to agents and managers looking for new talent. Now, there are pros and cons to this service, but it's a passive way for both parties to find each other. But not all parties operate at a high level of professionalism or are even credible players. And that is why the meeting is so significant. That is where you suss out or we suss each other out to see if we're a fit. When an agent or manager contacts me for a meeting, I first look them up. What's their online presence? Do they have a current website? Because an old website speaks volumes telling me they may have old values or they may be aging out of the current landscape or don't see the importance of marketing themselves competitively, none of which are acceptable to me. I examine their roster on IMDb Pro. I'm evaluating the energy from the images of the actors they represent. Are the photos giving me industry standard vibrant energy? Or do the pictures look flat and dull, like JCPenney portraits? No shade to JCPenney portraits. They just aren't industry standard in regards to the aesthetic. I'm perusing that roster to see if I recognize their clients from current TV shows or films. What percentage of their clients have recent credits? If they do, how many of them have managers? Suppose, let's say, their client list indicates most of those actors have managers. In that case, the agent may not have the clout to get their actors opportunities, causing the actor to rely heavily on managers, which costs the actor more money because we have to pay double commissions, possibly to someone who's not contributing. I'm looking at the current credits. Are they mostly co-star, no-name roles like bartender number two, laundry lady? Because I have enough nameless co-star credits I'm looking for guest star, recurring, series regular roles, and an agent who's submitting or has actors who work in those roles. Then I research if the current credits are from shows shot in Los Angeles, because that's where I am. If the credits are mostly Atlanta or New York or Canada, and the actor has representatives in those regions, the agent may not be getting their actors opportunities in L.A., And based on the information that I find in my research, I can ask pertinent questions regarding all of my concerns. The meeting I had with Daniel was pre-pandemic. It was when a brick-and-mortar business's credibility relied heavily on a proximity to the Hollywood zone, also known as the studio zone, sometimes referred to as the 30-mile zone, or TMZ, which generally refers to the area within a 30-mile radius, originated in the 1960s when, due to the growth of location shoots, studios established a 30-mile zone to monitor rules of filming in Hollywood. Based on that, I had to look up Daniel Marsh's office address. His office was in North Hollywood, short for NoHo, considered an arts district. I don't know if it fits in the TMZ, the studio zone, the Hollywood zone, but NoHo was relatively close to the NBC Universal lot. Finally, I scoured the web for bios and interviews, any positive or negative reviews from other actors, articles of litigation. Do they owe actors money? Do they have predatory behaviors? I'm looking for anything salacious. While researching Daniel, I found nothing suspicious. He had a long history as a reputable theatrical agent in Hollywood for over 30 years. But there were some red flags. 
His website was ancient. It had this late 90s interface. The energy of his roster was stagnant. The photos of his clients felt 20 years old. They weren't fresh. None of his clients had credits from the past five years. Not a one. Five years? And there was only one actor who I recognized appear from my improv community that was a hilarious stage actor. But he had no television or film credits. And this is someone who should be working on television and film. Finally, Daniel had contacted me using an SBC Global email exchange, the equivalent of AOL or Yahoo. This was 2017. And he also used a nickname in his email instead of his government name. I could sense Daniel was an outdated baby boomer. Now, I acknowledge labeling someone an outdated boomer runs the risk of sounding ageist, but my discrimination towards Daniel was not the generation gap. It was an inability or or resistance to present his agency as a competitive leader in the marketplace. Look, y'all, Hollywood is all about smoke and mirrors, appearances, a fake-it-to-you-make-it vibe. It's shallow, I know, sure, but Hollywood predicates success on aesthetics, and it sniffs out prospects like a heat-seeking missile. Suppose Daniel Marsh didn't care about staying current. How can he expect Hollywood, meaning casting directors, writers, and producers, to view his roster of actors as viable talent? worthy of coveted audition time slots. My initial instinct was to pass on meeting Daniel. But as I mentioned in episode 119, Respectfully Decline Manager Duo, my mentor advised me to always, always take a meeting for learning purposes. And so I scheduled an appointment with Daniel. The address said North Hollywood, NoHo, as I mentioned before. Now, I know where NoHo Arts District is. It's a 20-minute drive from my house. Daniel's office was almost an hour from my house because his office was located at the very top of NoHo, which is deep in the valley, which is not the Hollywood Studios TMZ zone. Using my TV FBI profiler skills, I started observing and analyzing all the clues. The office was on a lengthy street of depreciating mom-and-pop shops. There was no Hollywood industry feel to it. It was sparse, with no hustle and no bustle. There were no tall buildings and hardly any trees to make shade, so the extreme sun beat down on my car, causing me to turn on the air conditioner the deeper I drove into North Hollywood, and then on top of my head, causing me to sweat as I exited my vehicle. I parked in the back lot with only one other car— And as I looked for signs of other occupants, I was a little hesitant to enter the building, but I could hear voices coming from various doors as I walked down the adobe-style hallways. I pulled a writing pen from my bag and held it like a weapon just in case I needed to stab someone in the juggler to protect myself. I told you I watch a lot of TV. I knocked on the door. A plain woman with a fantastic Sam's haircut wearing a navy floral dress and wire-rimmed glasses answered and invited me inside. The office was decent, clean, well-kept, with lots of tchotchkes everywhere. The interior was the color of clay and had an old, archaic appearance and odor to it. There was no air conditioner, but it was cool because the building lacked adequate insulation, like most old buildings in Los Angeles. 
Daniel came out from the back office and he greeted me. He was a boomer, tall in stature, wearing a dark suit jacket and gray pants. His hair was thin, gray, and balding. He invited me into his office. More tchotchkes. The office was quiet, like a library. No phones were ringing. He didn't have a computer on his desk. I wondered how he kept the lights on if no one was calling to check on his clients. And who did the submissions when there was no computer on his desk? Look, I already knew I wouldn't be signing with Daniel. It's kind of like when you're apartment hunting and you know the moment you walk into an apartment that you wouldn't be taking it instead of leaving right away like I would a bad apartment. I stayed for the meeting. I let Daniel do most of the talking. It was a good practice for listening and not feeling the need to tap dance for an agent. I could sense Daniel was lonely. He kept reminiscing about the good old days when his one celebrity client that had died a few years prior was his claim to fame. Daniel shared how he discovered the middle-aged actress during a play in the 80s at the Pasadena Playhouse, how he'd go to studio lots to meet with casting directors in person and broker deals with producers. He resented that the studio lots now had security, making it impossible for him to walk on the grounds, making rounds, and how all the casting directors had changed. I sat across from Daniel, quietly, listening intently. He either felt safe with me or he just needed to talk, and I'd interject here and there. He asked me about my time in New York if I ever worked on Broadway, and he seemed irked when I said, well, no, I moved to L.A. directly after training for a TV career. Because OG agents respect and put a lot of emphasis and importance on theater, which there's nothing wrong with that. The training is good. So I spoke about performing improv and sketch comedy at Second City, which led him to make a comparison to clown work in vaudeville. And then out of nowhere picked up the landline receiver and began speaking as if someone important had called. But the phone never rang, and I could hear the woman who let me into the office through the non-insulated walls talking to him. I gather he wanted me to think he had important things going on, but it was sad to watch. On that note, we ended the meeting. He said he would look at my materials and get back to me regarding moving forward. Now, I knew I wouldn't be moving forward with Daniel, but I was gracious for the time. Moreover, the experience. We hear about actors who are washed up, for lack of a better term. But this was the first time I had encountered an agent who had fallen from grace and was still trying to hold on to his golden days. As I made my way home, I imagined Daniel's experiences back in the day, charming the casting directors or quite possibly just being annoying. And one of the reasons studio lots now have security so agents like him couldn't walk on a set meandering through buildings. A few days later, I received an offer from Daniel. He wanted to sign me, which I found bizarre because... I didn't say much. I didn't say anything special that would warrant him to want to work with me. Maybe I was just easy to talk with, or perhaps he saw something in me that ignited his agent fire. But I wasn't going to change my mind. Everything about Daniel screamed that he remained in the past tense, an arrested development to a time when he had one superstar client lamenting the good old days, unwilling to be present enough to embrace the new world. And I wasn't willing to hang out in his memories. I sent him a lovely email declining the offer. 
He responded and questioned why, and I told him I had chosen someone else. I didn't feel an obligation to wake him from his stupor. I thought about the actors on his roster, how unfortunate it was that they didn't see what I saw. Were they being complicit by staying? And why did they stay? Was it so that they could say that they had an agent, even though the agent may not have been doing anything for them? I'll never know why. I only know that for me, it's vital to partner with an agent who is enthusiastically examining the present day while envisioning the future. After the meeting, I didn't pay much attention to Daniel Marsh's agency since 2017, but I did look him up before I wrote this episode to see if he was still an agent. He is not. I can't imagine him surviving the financial impact the pandemic caused. I hope he was able to get real with himself prior to the quarantine, and I hope that he's happy and thriving with present-day thoughts. Finding a good theatrical agent comes with challenges. It truly is a journey. I value my position to be choosy and not say yes to the one agent who may be interested in me when I'm hoping to take multiple meetings. I have had some decent theatrical agents, but still haven't found that ideal match. But I know someday I will. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Acting Lessons Learned and experienced some takeaways that will enrich your journey. I am this podcast producer, writer, host, engineer, and editor. If you'd like to support me in increasing my visibility and audibility, here are a few ways you can do so. Rate this episode five stars or any episode that you listen to. Write a positive review. Share with your friends and peers. Subscribe, follow. You can buy me a coffee. Your support gets acting lessons learned to more ears, which in turn helps me to monetize the program so that I can hire a staff to streamline production. You can also follow Acting Lessons Learned on Instagram or TikTok. All the links are below. And I will see you back here in two weeks. Until next time. 